Welcome to episode two of Elise's Point podcast. I'm your host, Elise Squirrel, PhD candidate, Canadian mental performance consultant, and sport karate athlete. Each week, I present a monologue of different topics that focus on point sparring aspects of sport karate. I want to stress that although each episode stands alone, this podcast should really be listened to as a whole. This project is meant to be informative, thought-provoking, and cause reflection. Keep in mind that some of the content is based on my observations and experiences from years of training and competing as a competitive athlete in sport karate. This means that it doesn't necessarily pertain or is applicable to every stakeholder within the sport. The overall goal is to promote a safe, healthy, and rational sport structure for future sport karate athletes. So let's start. Episode two, what's the point? Pun intended. The identity of sport karate and point sparring. I think we're stuck on the idea of real fighting, and I'm not sure why. Many parents enroll their children in karate to teach discipline and control violence. Not to mention that the first rule of self-defense is not to engage in a fight unless you have to. So why are people hung up on the idea of real fighting or what we are as sport karateers are real fighters? Is it derived from this idea of if we met on the street, and there were no rules, who would win? Or is it because as human beings, like average Joes, it feels in our nature that we don't need equipment or apparatus to fight, that it is instinct, that is, it's just something that we do? What is real fighting? This concept, to me anyways, seems more to boost ego than to produce proof of something. I went to the simplest and basic thing I could think of to define what fighting was. The Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Merriam-Webster defines fight as to contend in battle or physical combat, but it could also include to strive to overcome a person by blows or weapons. So, if we want to get technical, it could be argued that Being in a fight could mean someone has a weapon and someone does not. Or both people have weapons. And if that's the case, fencing could be qualified as fighting. And it probably is. Then we could debate what the definition of a fair fight is. And that's an entirely separate topic. Sport karate, or point sparring, is still fighting. But the purpose is different than other fighting or combat sports. You are hitting someone with hopefully controlled and finessed techniques that are making contacts sometimes at high speeds. This can still do serious damage, especially if the other person doesn't know what they're doing. The laws of physics are still in play. The heavier you are, the harder you are hitting. And the smaller you are, the faster you can move. 
One of the biggest differences between point sparring and other combat sports is that point fighters are putting their fast twitch muscles and their reaction skills to the test. It is a question of who is the fastest or how well can you see techniques being thrown at you? And it's a sport that asks for perfection almost every single time or mistakes are made. And many people can't do it or they feel silly doing it, which is why it might be classified in the not real fighting category. Dancing, as it is often referred to, an analogy which I hate. It is easy to belittle something if it does not suit your ego. Are some of the techniques and strategies functional? Not in many other contexts. If I enter into an MMA match and do machine gun kicks, it would not work. Mind you, MMA is a completely different game. But that does not mean that the movements and techniques that an athlete learns in point sparring are worthless. Remember that the purpose of games and sport at one time or another was to teach skills or characteristics like teamwork and camaraderie that could be transferable but not exact replications to real-life settings. What about running? Maybe. But as a sport, what does it mean? When am I ever going to have to prove I'm faster than someone for 100 meters in a real-life setting? I posed this question to my dad, and he said that if I'm getting chased by a bear, I only have to be faster than the other person with me. Thanks, Dad. But why are we trying to push the boundaries of human limits to begin with? The reason why is probably not functional in any regard outside of the sport or competition setting. A significant moment in sport history is breaking the barrier of the four-minute mile. But why is running a mile in under four minutes practical in any sense? There is no mile division in the Olympics. So what is the point? Because the four-minute mile was the pinnacle of progress as the mile world record, which started at four minutes and 55 seconds in 1861, slowly started to decrease as athletes were fighting for seconds. By 1937, that's a 76-year difference. The fastest mile time was recorded at four minutes six seconds point four. At this point, a four-minute wall had been established, which led to media speculation about the possibility of the mile being ran in under four minutes. It took until 1944, another seven years, for the mile time to be lowered to four minutes one second point four, which was held for ten more years leading scientists to doubt whether the four-minute mile was humanly possible. The four-minute barrier was finally broken in 1954 by Robert Bannister with a time of 3 minutes, 59 seconds, 0.4. That's only milliseconds from the last world record. But the four-minute barrier was broken. This seems kind of ridiculous, 
But the four-minute mile was a representation of human progress, but was also a spectacle created by humans that gave meaning to the event. What is the world record mile time now? Currently, the record of the mile stands at 3 minutes, 43 seconds, 0.13, set in 1999 by Hisham Al-Gharouj of Morocco. Let's take a sharp left turn and talk about pickleball in order to demonstrate the creation of a modern sport, but more to emphasize what purpose sport is created for. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. YouTube it. It was created in 1965 by Joel Pritchard when Pritchard and his friend wanted to play badminton but could only find a badminton net. As a result, rackets were improvised with wooden ping-pong paddles, and a perforated plastic ball was used. The game was played on a tennis court, with the badminton net adjusted to a similar height of a tennis net. Rules were established that would include the entire family, and it was called pickleball, after Pritchard's dog. Although... The premise might also seem ridiculous. It is estimated that in 2017, there were over 2.8 million pickleball players in the United States, 1.5 million being casual participants. This participation has resulted from a game that was created in a backyard, using equipment that was on hand. The same could be said about any modern game played today. American and European football, baseball, cricket, basketball, hockey, and so on. We have just forgotten why they were created, because they just are there. Which means that just because it's not practical in a real-life setting does not mean that it's less impressive. Meaning. 1. It is still impressive to be the fastest person on Earth, or ever. Two, it's still impressive to run the mile in under four minutes, or in four minutes, or in five minutes. Three, it's still impressive to excel and win at a game that was made up in your backyard. And four, and it's still impressive to excel in a different style of fighting, point sparring in particular. I am completely biased in the opinion that I think that athletes in point sparring, when they are training consistently, are some of the most athletic people, and that the skills that they have learned and gained are incredibly transferable to other sports. The practicality of the technique is really up to the setting and the user to determine if the skills and techniques are functional or not. With this in mind, Machine gun kicks, or finessed kicks, is an impressive skill to have when in a context in which it functions. As for what is real fighting, if we are categorizing each one to fit a certain requirement, it is unfair to argue that one's better than the other. The purposes are much different. At that point, it is a matter of individual opinion and what people find fulfilling when participating. Many people get enjoyment out of the kickboxing or continuous category of fighting. 
and many people don't understand the purpose of point sparring. But not understanding it does not mean that the fighting category is easier. And the topic of recovery and the amount of impact the body is sustaining is also a completely different subject. But for a sport that has its traditions and origins deep-rooted in discipline, integrity, and respect, among many of those other good-feeling qualities, there is a lot of energy being dedicated into arguing with other disciplines. Why? Why are we, as point fighters, trying to convince others, and sometimes ourselves, that what we are doing is highly skilled and impressive and real? It is all of that. And most importantly, it is a sport. I would like to end the podcast with a question. In what way is point sparring fulfilling to you? By this, I mean, why are you choosing to do this sport instead of any other sport? Thank you for taking the time and listening to Elise's Point. Check in every Monday so you don't miss any episodes. Does this topic resonate with you? Have any thoughts? Anything that came up while you were listening? I would love to hear about them. Please leave a comment on Ulysses Point Facebook page. I will talk to you next week. The references to this information are included in the description of this episode. Music by Atch. And a shout out to Oliver for letting me use his recording space.